0: We would first like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Welcome to the Women in Wildlife podcast. You're joined by your co-hosts, Eliza and Maddie, so get ready to delve into all things women, wildlife and gender equality in STEM.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Women in Wildlife podcast. Today, we're lucky enough to have Tani Barnes on for our interview today. Um, Tani Barnes is a wildlife and domestic vet nurse, a conservationist and founder of End Extension International.
0: Yeah, it was so great to be able to chat to Tani today. Um, we've only just finished recording and yeah, we've been following Tani for quite a while. She's actually one of the very first interviewees on our page. So it was really cool being able to delve a little bit deeper um, into her journey. She's had quite a diverse um, range of roles and uh, yeah, quite a long journey within the wildlife industry getting to where she is today. So sort of chatting a little bit further about um, yeah her pivots in her career and her decisions um, behind those pivots and also, a big uh, conversation we spoke about was imposter syndrome, and I think yeah, Tani has been quite open on her social media platforms um, about her experiences with imposter syndrome. So being able to have a bit of a raw, open discussion about that was really awesome.
1: Yeah, I found it really refreshing hearing her journey to getting where she is today. I don't know um, that she talks about being 35 and how long it took her to find her true passion now. And I just found that really reassuring because I'm still struggling with that journey. So that was really good. And I think I really needed this talk today. So thanks Tani.
0: absolutely and I think like super relevant to me today which I was thinking mm. about while she was talking but I started my new job today and I literally in the car on the way there I was like getting so nervous and I was like why I'm, cool. I shouldn't even have this job and so I was like I have truly really remember like my positive affirmations oh, my and I was just like in the car and I was like <laughs> I am capable like I can I am smart like I can do this <laughs> yeah so definitely oh. it's a really important conversation in wildlife um yeah. and for women I think yeah we touched on it in the podcast but it is a very generally quite a gendered experience um Mm. much every woman I've spoken to has had imposter syndrome so definitely an important chat we had today but before we talk Mm. about it anymore we'll uh, get into it
1: hi everybody and welcome to our sixth podcast episode today we're here with Tani so welcome Tani how are you
2: I'm good, thank you. How are you? Thank
1: you for having me here. I'm very excited. Thanks so <laughs> much for coming. It's been so exciting. Me and Eliza have been talking about this for a while. We're so
0: super excited to have you here today. Oh,
2: thank you. Yes. Really nice you. Thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I've yeah, I've definitely been chatting for a long time. So I'm really keen to actually delve a little bit deeper and yeah, hear your new roles, which I've been um following you, posting about them. So I'm very keen to hear a bit more about them. Are you able to tell us a little bit about your current roles that you have at the moment and sort of your journey in getting here?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so I am currently a wildlife and domestic vet nurse. I started in vet or in the vet industry uh, a couple of years ago as a receptionist uh, and then I started studying my cert for at TAFE uh, in 2021 and I finished at the end of 2022 um, and during that time I was very lucky to do my wildlife placement at Corumban Wildlife Hospital. Um, And then I got offered a job at Corumban Wildlife Hospital at uh, the end of last year. And I was also fortunate enough to get a job at Byron Bay Wildlife Hospital around the same time. So um, yeah, dreams came true very quickly (laughs) and all at once. Um, Before that, my background was more in kind of uh, conservation and education. Uh, So I wanted to be a vet when I was younger, didn't get the marks in high school, um, dellied in acting in my 20s, kids party entertainer at one stage. Um, and then I started down the journey of study. Um, so I did a Cert two in animal studies, then I did a Cert three in captive animal management. That got me a job at a wildlife park in Western Sydney, where I was the education program coordinator for about three years. And that job really kind of cemented that working with animals and in conservation was what I wanted to do. Um, It inspired me to start an education platform called End Extinction International. Um, And I kind of ran that quite heavily for a couple of years before stepping back a little bit from it and running it every now and then, um, just because life gets crazy. Um, but that, that page is really focused on introducing people to endangered species around the world, especially ones that they may not have heard of or ones that are in their own backyard potentially um, and giving them kind of day-to-day ways that they can help to protect them so that they don't feel so inundated with, you know, having to donate or um, kind of the bigger actions. It's, you know, little things that you can do to help save them. So that, that's kind of where I kind of dived into conservation, I guess. Uh, I then did a Bachelor of Zoology through UNE, which is the University of New England. And about halfway through that degree, I had the privilege of doing a three-month internship in Nepal with the Jane Goodall Institute of Nepal. And we travelled to really remote areas of Nepal, especially on the India-Nepal border, studying human-wildlife conflict. Um, And that was really fascinating. It, It really helped to open my eyes to just how much especially at that time when social media wasn't quite as mainstream and full of information and in your face as it is now, it really opened my eyes to just how much human-wildlife conflict is as much a human problem as it is wildlife. Um, so that that was a really interesting experience and I started um, coming up with some ideas for habitat restoration there, which I'd like to one day put into effect. Um, and then I came home and finished my degree and then I did a few other random jobs um, like in bush regeneration and things like that and then got into the vet industry from there and this is where I am. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's so awesome,
0: so awesome to have, yeah, such a vast experience and and yeah, just a classic example, I think like Mads and I have really gone through similar things, like really navigating yeah. our ways and sort of finding our way to life and conservation through trying lots of different things and travel and things like that. And so, yeah, you've definitely mm-hmm. had a very vast range of experiences and so awesome to sort of see how each experience has added to getting, yeah, where you are today. Yeah,
2: I'm but really I'm you- really lucky. Oh, sorry, I was to say, I'm just, I'm really You're right. to, Um, to have had the opportunities that I've had and to make the connections that I've had. And I, I, I'm really grateful that, um, the platform that I started—it's created a huge amount of networking for me that I don't think I otherwise would have had, which has opened up a lot of doors and opportunities for me. So I'm really, really grateful for that, and for the people that have, um, you know, like take taken a chance on me, um, having only met me through social media, like you guys. <laughs> um, you know, we all know social media is a highlight reel, so it's it's really lovely to to connect with people on social media and then to have the opportunity to meet them to some degree in real life and, and continue that authentic relationship. It's really lovely.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The power of um, networking through Instagram is like a bit underrated. Sometimes I feel, right. especially like when you get to make all like you said, authentic friendships and connections through it. It's going to see yeah, it's really cool. How did you, um? yeah. How did you navigate all these decisions and feel com- like confident in yourself with those decisions, like changing jobs, changing careers, choosing study, like, yeah, how did you just, yeah, be confident in your decisions or were you even confident? <laughs> Short
2: answer, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely uh, not a lot of confidence uh, going into any of the fields that I've studied, or the, a lot of the jobs that I went into. Um, Imposter syndrome is my best friend, as I'm sure you guys have come across in this this industry and with the beautiful you amazing women <laughs> that you've connected with. I'm sure a lot of us, unfortunately, have dealt with it. Yeah. Um, I think I just saw opportunities for things that interested me and went for them and just, you know, a lot of it was study and just kind of went, oh, well, we'll see where that leads and then it either would lead somewhere or it wouldn't lead somewhere. Um, ironically, my degree is probably the one that led me in the least direction. <laughs> so six, six years of study for not a lot of gain with that one, but that's okay. I learned a lot with that, so that's good. Um yeah, no, it definitely wasn't a confidence thing. It was more of a I, I found the one thing that I'm truly passionate about, and I now I just have to figure out how I want to be in that industry. You know, was it was it vet or was it conservation? Was it education? Was it research? Like, I kind of considered all avenues, and then just um, yeah just kind of waited to see which direction ended up working. Um, and I'm really, really fortunate that all of them to some degree have have had huge um, opportunities open up for me, but especially in the last um, two years. I think being a vet nurse is definitely the, the move that I am just so proud of and um, so passionate about. And I just feel like I finally found, you know, where mm-hmm. I want to be. And for anyone who does listen to this, podcast um I am 35 years old and I've only just kind of started finding my ground so if you are in your teens or in your 20s or in your 40s 50s 60s and you're still trying to figure it out like please do not feel that you have to have it figured out by a certain age because you absolutely don't (laughs) you can you can do 10 different jobs I think I've had like 20 now (laughs) in my In my lifetime of working and, um, yeah, I feel like I finally found
0: the work that I want to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like, each experience is a tool in your toolbox and I think like yeah you're a great example of that and I'm sure you wouldn't have gotten to where you are without experiencing all of those experiences and yeah I think it obviously there is that classic narrative that like women expire at 30 and I think yeah we always have to be challenging that and um yeah showing that we like should keep evolving and we should keep changing and yeah really find our place within this industry that we all love so much so yeah so awesome to see what about vet nursing sorry this is a bit of on the spot question but um what about vet vet nursing do you love so much like what's your sort of favorite parts
2: um, I actually posted a reel about this last <laughs> night. My favourite.
0: <laughs> oh, my lies. You're not up to date with the
1: reels. <laughs> yeah,
2: geez. No, I'm kidding. Um, my my favourite part of my job is watching the animals go back to the wild. Um, it's, I got to release an animal yesterday from Byron Bay Wildlife Hospital and it was such a satisfying moment because he actually was only in for the day, which was great. Um, he was, it was a, a very large probably male from his colouring, Eastern Water Dragon. He'd been found caught hanging in uh, the kind of mesh metal wiring of a trailer that was parked at a local petrol station. Um, And he'd obviously been there a while. He had rubbed off some of the kind of uh, spiny scales on his lower back. So they were worried about kind of more internal trauma. Um, And we did x-rays and we did a physical assessment um, and he actually had no... Um, major injuries or damage. It just basically was those scales um, on the outside, which will grow back. So that was really, really good. So we gave him some pain relief just for good measure, keep him comfortable, and gave him some fluids just to make sure he wasn't too dehydrated and monitored him throughout the day. Um, and then yeah, I got to release him last night, and he he kind of he jumped out of the carrier and stared at me for about a minute, and then he did this classic Eastern water dragon run, which is kind of like flailing your arms in the air. Um, while your back legs run so yeah that was really entertaining to watch but it's really satisfying um so yeah that's probably my favorite part of vet nursing um it's not something i particularly get to do very often we leave that to the incredible wildlife carers of whom there are so many and we could definitely not do our job without um but i i don't know it's just there's something so rewarding about meeting these animals for for starters, there's so many animals that, you know, we'd be lucky to see from a distance in the wild. And so to get to see them close up and actually, I guess, from a science point of view, kind of get that opportunity to study them, um, you know, anatomically and things like that is, is really interesting. Um, but, yeah, just the, the medical side of things and, and you know, watching them improving um, and, and just... You know, giving them every opportunity to have that second chance at life that they otherwise, unfortunately, wouldn't normally get. It's yeah, it's really rewarding. So I, I love it. It's definitely,
0: definitely where I'm supposed to be, and I'm very, very happy that's awesome it's like a great little yeah snapshot of one experience that really does encapsulate the whole uh, rewarding aspect of vet nursing so now that's awesome awesome experience to have and yeah i'm so excited to keep watching you do all those things and posting about them it's really really cool kind of winding back a little bit to um your work at End extinction international that's yeah obviously a huge platform and some one that many of us follow um can you tell us a little bit about your role um and yeah sort of experience band on sort of the work that you did um, with an extension
2: yeah so um, as I said I kind of was inspired to start it when I was working as an education coordinator um, and I I think the thing that inspired me the most was that I was introducing members of the public students tourists locals to Australian animals and I realized through that job just how much people didn't know about animals especially locals you know they didn't realize um you know half the species that they were meeting were endangered like even koalas um you know this is back in kind of 2012 to 2015 they they just really they didn't realize just how how dire the situation is for koalas with disease and habitat destruction Mm -hmm. and you know conflicts and things like that with pets and cars and so even something as famous as a koala so many people didn't realize that they really need our help and then There was the other aspect of, you know, giving them a new perspective on animals that they otherwise either wouldn't care about or that they were terrified of. So my favourite example is um, snakes. So I used to love bringing out pythons and um, I'd be standing there with a python wrapped around, hanging around on my neck, just chilling, really casual, really very used to being handled. And people would smile at me as they're walking past and then do a double take and realize that I had that three meter python hanging around my neck and scream and run. Um, And I would say at least 50% of the time I could convince them to slowly come back. And if I could get them to even stand within a meter of the snake, you know, that was a big win for them. If I could get them to put one finger on the scales at the back of the snake that was an even bigger win and a lot of the time even probably 75% of the time if I could get that person to put just one finger on the scales of the snake within 30 seconds the whole hand is now padding. and now they're wanting to hold the snake and now they're asking all these questions so it was just so reward that was probably apart from vet nursing one of the most rewarding things I've ever done in my career um, and so to be able to expand on that on a global scale in any kind of manner was something that I just thought, why not? Let's give it a go. Social media was very, very new. I'm showing my age. Social media was very, very new (laughs) um when when I started. Um, And so I built a following on it quite quickly purely because it was, I think purely because it was so new and it was a lot easier to build back then and people were really interested. And I was (laughs) and I I kind of um put a lot of time and energy into it. But Um, Yeah, I basically started by creating endangered species profiles. So I'd pick a species, I'd do research on it, um, and then I'd find a a photo um, that I could either use for free or I'd get a photographer's permission to use, um, and I would post about it. And the the profile would basically include the scientific and the common name, where they're found, their lifespan, what their IUCN red list status is, so if it's um, vulnerable, endangered, critically endangered, extinct in the wild, um, some fun facts about it. Um, so I try and find really interesting, unique things for each species if possible. Sometimes it wasn't that easy, unfortunately, if they weren't a well-studied species, but I tried. Um, and then i post their major threats and ways that people could help to save those animals. And again, i try and focus on ways that they could either help in their daily life or when they're travelling or come across the animals so that it felt a little bit more personal and within reach. So that's kind of where EEI has been and through that I obviously as I said I've, I've had a, a really rewarding um, experience in networking with people around the world and um, people who were in the industry people who were not in the industry um, I have had the honor of meeting Jane Goodall twice um, one was for a personal meeting which was whew, insane <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was amazing it was amazing I had a cup of tea with Jane Goodall it's oh, like well, it's <laughs> gonna be it's insane. Yeah, I was very, very excited and proud and walked away very sheltered by <laughs> all. Um, But more than that, I, I got the opportunity to be guest speakers at public forum events, at schools, at, um, you know, rallies and protests, um, uh, on podcasts, um, on websites. I've had people contact me whose kids have done profiles based on my profiles, or they've shared my profiles, or they've become really interested in that look of it. So that for me is definitely so rewarding. When I get those messages, um, I just feel so happy because it feels like the, the work and the, the effort and the energy sometimes, especially in this industry, you you can get a bit of burnout um, and you can feel like you're not making a lot of progress or a lot of difference. So those little moments are huge um, and really, really rewarding. So, yeah, so that's kind of where EEI has stayed for pretty much the last decade that it's been running. (laughs) Um, I do have some big hopes and big goals for it um, that I would love to one day get up and running um, in my spare time, of which I have none, Um, (laughs) as I'm sure you guys understand. Uh, One of the things that I really want to do is develop an app that will teach people on the go about endangered species in the areas that they're in and give them immediate ways that they can take action to help that animal and um, yeah, be actively involved. So that's that's something that I've had sitting in my pocket for about five years, maybe a bit longer. Um, I just haven't haven't found the way to make the next step yet. So if you have any ideas, <laughs>
1: please let me know. Oh I wish I was more tech savvy, but unfortunately, yeah. I don't think I could help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds yeah. like an incredible idea, though. That yeah. Let me know when it's off and running, and I'll <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just such a great idea, and I think um, like obviously, we're we're going to touch a little bit more about imposter syndrome um, upcoming. But yeah, even you just sort of saying that um, yeah, the only reason that it's done well is because it was early on, and I think. Yeah, that's definitely not true. I think it is an amazing platform. And Matt and I have spoken a bit on the podcast before, but like, yeah, social media and presenting like scientific information in a digestible way and palatable way for the everyday person to um yeah really connect with the content and sort of um yeah then i guess care about it especially for animals that aren't the koala or you know aren't these cute cuddly animals and the animals that are yeah highly threatened and need a lot of attention so i think it is really important work and an app would be amazing i think that's a great direction to go in so yeah very keen to hopefully (laughs) download it one day (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> yes. Well, yes. One one day being the key, yeah. the key word. There, I will make it happen or I will palm it off to the wonderful women at uh, Women in Wildlife who <laughs> are far more successful at getting things done. So uh, <laughs> <thank you again. laughs>
0: just procrastinate any other work. So I don't know most of it. But yeah, lies
1: is the brains of the operation. Just get her to organise your life for you. Yeah. Chaos. <laughs> Oh, yeah, your um yeah your work at EI just sounds just invaluable. Um, yeah, just everything that you've done with them, just such a great platform. And, I yeah, I only recently um, followed you and found um extension through that. And, I, like, I thought it was so cool and I wish I knew about it earlier. But such a cool way to present that information. What did you think through doing that role you, like, what do you think your biggest lessons you learned through that or the biggest challenges that you've had to come overcome through doing that role and um delving into that area I guess of conservation
2: yeah I think in general one of the things that I've had to really learn is um to keep an open mind um especially when it comes to human activities and actions and the reasons behind those um so as I say, when I was in Nepal and studying human-wildlife conflict, it, it was really eye-opening. I, I think I am quite com- comfortable in acknowledging I was quite close-minded or one-sided in my opinions at that time um, in terms of, you know, humans are always the problem. Um, and so meeting these these beautiful um, people in these very remote areas of Nepal, um, especially along the border of Nepal and India, who didn't own the land that they were working on. Um, They were living in pretty extreme poverty um, and they had nowhere to go because Nepal is a very small country with a very large population. and so there's nowhere for them to go. They don't have any sort of money um, to, or you know, um, assets, I guess, to to own their own land. So they they work on someone else's land, and if their landowner wants to expand for whatever reason, or the land is dying because of. Um, you know, the soil, the soil is, you know, degenerating or whatever and they have to expand for more produce then that's encroaching more on wildlife habitat. Um, so, you know, they're, they're constantly at risk of of coming face to face with pretty, pretty dangerous and pretty big animals. I mean, elephants, leopards, tigers, they're just three of the big ones that a lot of these villages had either personally dealt with or they'd lost family members to or they'd had to you know, constantly come up with new ways to, you know, try and just dis- discourage these animals from coming in. Um, they've had to move because elephants have have smelt the huge silos that they've made from, you know, straw and mud filled with seeds and they just come in and just tap it over and eat it all and then that's that's their whole, you know, crop harvest gone. So it was really, really eye-opening and really uh, humbling, I guess is probably the best word for me. Um in that in that regard um in terms of social media i think um i try to be quite transparent and open and honest um when i'm on social media i don't i i mean we we all know that social media is a bit of a highlight reel and i always obviously like to post the best as we do but i Mm -hmm. am quite comfortable also you know trying to make people feel like no one's life is perfect um and so with EEI. Um, if I make a mistake with a post, if I, you know, put out the wrong information, or if someone contacts me and, and tells me, you know, my information's out of date, it's incorrect, um, something like I have no authorization to use their photo, which has happened before, um, you know, I will, I will be really honest about that, and I think that that is something that I've tried to keep throughout my journey of, of conservation, um, is trying to stay. I guess as genuine and um, and honest and open as possible because it is a very confronting field that we're in, and it is a very it can be a very difficult field and industry to be in. Um, so I just think that there just needs to be a lot of compassion, not just towards the animals that we're working with, but towards each other, and a lot of collaboration and a lot of partnership. I feel like there's unfortunately a lot of competition um especially since social media became very mainstream i think that even those with the best of intentions unfortunately sometimes it can you know cloud their their decision making on what they post or the way that they interact with an animal and things like that so um yeah i've always i've always gone in with eei especially saying i wanted it to be about collaboration and motivation and education they were my three words um, so I will never put another organisation down. I will, you know, always support other organisations if they've got a fundraiser or they've got, you know, a campaign or something going. I, I want EEI to kind of be a buddy and support that, um, yeah, because I think that the only way we're going to succeed in any of these, you know, missions, campaigns to save species save habitat save our planet is through working together there's no point in competition we're all trying to work towards the same thing so
0: yeah yeah that's just perfect like I think like following your account for so many years you are just such a little shining light and and, uh, yeah opening way feed and you're always just posting really positive things and always commenting and supporting. I always notice that um, everyone else's posts, and which is just so great to see. And yeah, I think that is such an important point with collaboration. I think it's sort of seen industry-wide, like no matter what sort of niche you're in, like I definitely with research can relate to that a lot. Like I think, yeah, collaboration, we could just get so much more work done and so be so much more productive and have such larger contributions to like research topics if we did just collaborate. So definitely can relate to that a lot. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I can imagine how how difficult it must be being in research. Obviously, you have to compete for funding and things like that. Uh, I haven't obviously been in research myself, but just from what I do know, I, I can only imagine how difficult it must be. So I very much um, tip my hat to you for for going into it. It's, it's a field I've considered many times, um, but I feel like I'd have to find the right, the absolute right passion that I wanted to dive into for (laughs) for for me to do it fully but i mean you and your wombats you guys are you guys are connected for life (laughs) there that's a lifelong passion i can see um but yeah i i completely agree and that's that's something that that's one of the reasons i guess that eei has never kind of become anything more than the social platform that it is is because I wanted so much for it to fill the gaps in conservation. I wanted to find what the gap was and use EEI to fill that gap, whether it be funding, collaboration, networking, whatever it was. Um, and every time I'd kind of get an idea, another organisation would have been set up in that time who was kind of doing that. And I was like, wait, that's great. That, that niche is filled, but now what do I do? So <laughs> so it is it is tricky, yeah, trying trying to not compete and trying to bring... Um, bring them together it it can be tricky
0: yeah but having those like you know values at the base of your organization I think yeah only good things can come from that so I think that's really awesome and as you said sort of like acknowledging your mistakes as well like I think yeah women of wildlife like you know anyone having an online platform or Things like, you know, we don't know everything and we do make mistakes. And I think, yeah, we've definitely been caught out a few times, like appropriating things that we've had no idea of or, you know, um,
1: potentially. Promoting. And I made a spelling mistake the other day. <laughs>
2: That's
1: it. You're fired. You
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> <Done>. <laughs> and I didn't even notice one of my friends was like, oh, Matt's. I think he spelled something wrong. I was like, yeah. I didn't here. know and I missed it Liza, <laughs> And I was like, sorry, Liza. <laughs> yeah, Liza, did, Liza didn't notice yeah. either. We're were was
2: like, oh, goodness. <laughs> well, I follow religiously. I didn't notice any spelling <laughs> errors. So I, I, either I missed that post before you fixed it um, or I, it wasn't really that noticeable. You
1: might up. <laughs> Good hear. But yes, like you said, we're all just human and mistakes happen. And like you said, it's just being genuine and owning up to it. It's, a, it's the most important part at the end
0: of the day, I think. Exactly. Absolutely, and um, obviously in that not-for-profit space, like we've obviously had a bit of experience within it as well. Do you have changes you'd like to see within this space? Or, um, yeah, like obviously there are quite a lot of hurdles you have to go through and uh, factors considered, but is there anything, yeah, that you've learned that you'd like to see change in the space?
2: Um, I did go through the pro- – well, I started the process probably about seven years ago now of trying to make EEI a um, – a not-for-profit registered organisation, and it's hard. <laughs> it, is, it is not easy. I don't know about in other countries, but in Australia, it is not easy. And I can understand why. Like you, you want to make sure that the organisation that this that a person is registering is genuine and is doing the things it's going to say, and it's not just like a, a tax write-off or something. So I can understand why it's difficult. But especially trying to do it on your own, it's nearly impossible. Um, which is probably one of the reasons it never eventuated with me. Um, but it's I think it's just for me not-for-profit is such a huge risk if you don't already have a huge platform or audience or backup or investors behind you 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 really are starting from the bottom and trying to build and I've I've watched so many amazing organizations start um since I started EEI who have become registered organizations and not-for-profits and and it's it's so sad. It, it, it does make me sad seeing them having to fundraise all the time and asking for money all the time because, you know, the majority of people, especially at the moment, are financially struggling and it's so it's, it's difficult when you are getting bombarded with so many things you care about and trying to figure out how to donate or if there's something you can do without donating. Um, I think that it would just be really great if there was a way to... Connect, you know, the the higher, the higher income earners or you know investors and and people of power, um, you know, really getting them on board a lot more um, and being a lot more active and invested in these not for profits um, for, you know, for genuine reasons. I mean, I don't think there's anything more important at the end of the day than trying to save the planet and everything on it because. It's where we live. It's the only thing we have. Um, so that, for me, I think that that financial gap is probably the biggest concern that I have. Um, and, I, again, I understand that everyone's just trying to do the best they can and there's so many organisations in the world doing so many things. Um, it can be overwhelming to try and figure out who who to trust or who to put your money in. So, yeah, I think that, for me, has been the biggest hurdle and I think one of the other reasons that I haven't taken EEI to the next level of of um registration and things is knowing that there's that stress knowing that um you know there's boxes that i would have to tick there's quotas i'd have to meet all that kind of stuff it, it's a big risk um and i wouldn't want to put that pressure on anyone um in the world when we're all just trying to live and get through at the moment so yeah
0: yeah no, absolutely
1: yeah, it's- yeah, it's a really good point on um trying to find a way to fund those organizations because I get calls all the time and I wish I could you know donate as much money as I had. but every time I'm like I'm so sorry, like it's just, you know, it just is what it is, and you feel awful at the end of the day, but I'm doing everything that I can from my end and spending things on things that I think is also valuable like. Uh, this is so random, but even just like buying um, uh, soap bars and soap conditioner bars and things like that, like helping in different ways. Um, but yeah, it's just I feel like that's just such a big issue that we could talk about for ages. But getting funding from those higher yeah places would just be it's, yeah such a good goal to aim for. I have no idea how to come up on that. So that's a topic for
0: another
1: day. If you figure it out, let me know, because that's been
2: one of my hurdles (laughs) for 10 years. So if you figure it out,
0: (laughs) please let me know. Yeah, it's such
2: a
1: good point. Yeah, really good to have that.
0: I think that, like, it really triggers us, like, if we already have a bit of eco-anxiety and we're always seeing, like, these different um, places having, yeah, fundraisings and things that we all yeah would love to donate for but yeah it's a really get tough time for many people and you definitely need to redirect where that funding is coming from sort of mm-hmm. not going for the the small people who are already doing as much as they can and yeah really focus mm-hmm. on um, the big people who aren't doing too much so <laughs> I think that's a great direction
2: yeah and I have I mean, much like, you to give even even as you said you know um you know you're choosing soap bars over, you know soap in plastic and things like that like if just because you're not donating money to an organization that's doing something doesn't mean you're not doing something you know every mm. action that we take as humans has a consequence and we can, we can we can choose whether that's going to be you know a neutral you know consequence that you know soap is minimal when it's not in packaging um, versus you know plastic packaging which ends up in landfill or the oceans or animals so I um, mm. You know going back again to kind of my endangered species profiles that was the kind of stuff that i would put into those profiles is like yeah you don't have to donate money to make a difference like don't feel like just because you can't donate doesn't mean that you as an individual can't make a difference if you avoid plastic in your grocery shop that's you know 20 pieces of plastic minimum that you have just avoided going into landfill or into an animal stomach um you know if you choose um an eco tourist company over another one that's not certified eco you've just you know potentially supported better animal welfare better habitat um you know protection things like that so there's there's so many things that you can do as an individual without having to donate so don't ever yeah. feel like money is the
1: only answer 100 yeah i feel like i've been trying to yeah make small decisions even though they feel really minimal when you're doing it everything adds up at the end of the day even even sharing a post that is something you're passionate about showing how you can someone else can make the same decision as you is impactful like everything has effects and everything yeah you know the butterfly effect is real so (laughs) definitely everything definitely counts exactly so going back a bit talking about imposter syndrome can you tell us a little bit about how you how you've experienced that in the wildlife industry, and how you've navigated that?
2: Big mm-hmm. feel- <laughs> question. I just, but. I just got imposter syndrome about talking about imposter syndrome. <laughs>
1: That's when you know.
2: Like, yeah, am I the right person to talk about this? <laughs> That's your answer. Yes. Um. Yeah. Look, I don't think there's been any job or um even when I've been studying where I haven't. Had a moment where I've gone, You should not be in this. You don't, you're not qualified enough to be in this. You don't know what you're doing. They, you know, there's people who are much better off to do this. Um, even like with EI doing a post, I put it up and be like, Oh, like, I maybe I shouldn't post this. People, one, people aren't going to see it, people don't care about my little page, but also like, I've just stolen someone else's, you know, research and put it out there in mainstream or, um. Being a vet nurse is a big one. Um, my my TAFE teacher, um, I ran into her the other day and I was having a joke that I had met some of her current students and had asked if uh, any of them wanted to challenge me as to who had cried the most in their course. And she said, no, no, you definitely cried the most out of both. <laughs> courses." I was like, okay, great, cool. Yeah, it's not a certificate I should be proud of. Um, but she would very much back that I had very big imposter syndrome the entire way through my course, um, just feeling like I was never going to get things or I was not smart enough or I was never going to pick up on the things that I needed to pick up on or Um, just working with such incredible vets and vet nurses and, and just feeling utterly useless compared to them. Um, and I still get it all the time, especially in my new jobs, because I'm new, (laughs) um, I, I, expect that I should know everything. And when I miss something, I get so angry at myself. How could you miss that? Um, I'm just very lucky to work with a lot of colleagues who turn around and go, you're still a new nurse. Like you've only been a nurse for a year. I'm like, "Yeah." This is true so yeah imposter syndrome as I said is probably my best friend (laughs) it sits on my shoulder every day um but it's it's really nice to look back uh you know when I was first studying nursing or when I was in my you know final six months and look at the things that I did cry about and that did make me want to drop out or quit um and how easy they come to me now so something like placing a cannula in an animal in you know in their vein I could not get it like every time I tried I would follow the vet's directions I would look for the vein I would you know I would go in as straight as possible and I would never get it and I was just one day I was just a mess and I just thought that's it I'm I'm quitting I was like I can't get a cannula how am I supposed to do this if I can't even get a cannula in um whereas now um you know, obviously no one gets them every time, but I've, i it's not something I even blink twice at. I'm like, oh, I need a cannula place. Cool. Yeah, no worries. All right, here's the vein. Here's this, here's this. Um, and it's its just not something I even blink twice at now, which I is crazy to, you know, 18 months ago, it would it almost stop me from completing my course. Um, yeah. So yeah, imposter syndrome is very real um, and it can be your worst enemy. Um, but I think in some ways it it, it keeps you motivated. Um, if you're a perfectionist like me <laughs> and you're stubborn like me, it can keep you motivated to keep trying. Um, and it can keep you a bit grounded so that you don't become too, too confident. You don't want to be too confident in anything purely because then it, I think there's nothing left to learn, and in our in, in in the animal industry in general, we are always learning. There, we will never know everything. Every time an animal comes in, we'll learn something new about that species or that individual. You know, so um, I think imposter syndrome for me has has kept me questioning and kept me asking questions and kept me curious, and and so for that I am grateful for it. Um, but I would never tell it that to its face. <laughs> then it will. As I said, it's left me crying a lot. So
0: (laughs) So, yeah. And it's definitely like very gendered. I think, yeah, Maddie and I have spoken about that quite a lot, but like, it is a very gendered experience. Like I know a lot of men would get imposter syndrome, but I think pretty much every woman I've ever spoken to about imposter syndrome has had imposter syndrome. So yeah, unfortunately it is something quite gendered. And yeah, although you do say like, I do agree with you to an extent when you're saying that, um, like it has helped in certain ways and I think yeah like absolutely and I can agree with that but yeah I think we also do have to check ourselves a little bit and um yeah remind ourselves that we are capable and we yeah have the tools and we wouldn't get the job unless we had the skills to do it and then we would have been hired unless they believed in us um so yes it's definitely something all of us need to remind ourselves frequently unfortunately yeah
1: and like what you um touched on too tiny like reflecting on how far you've come is so underrated I feel like that's such an important thing I feel like everyone should have a mini reflection like every week on what they've learned that week or even within the year just how far you've come in such a short amount of time like like you said putting a cannula in like such a simple thing at the start what you couldn't get was almost going to cause you to quit and now you don't even think twice about it like those sort of things seem really small and minuscule but when you look at it, and you couldn't even have done it at the start, yeah, it just shows how far people can come. So definitely something to think about, and yeah, importance of reflection is very important.
2: Yeah, and I think kind of what you said, Eliza, like you know, we do have to remind ourselves of things, but sometimes imposter syndrome is very loud, <laughs> yeah. and that voice of reassurance has to come externally, and that's why you know, organisations like yours are so important, especially as women. As you said, women seem to experience it a lot more than men in, in careers and um, there's a lot of pressure on us as women to, I think, especially in our kind of timeline of, of society, I think we're finally at a stage where women are, are getting, posi- like, you know, positions of power and positions of... Of, you know great importance and we're you know we're fighting for equal pay and you know so we're we're in this this era of career and girl power and girl boss and all this kind of stuff um and i'm doing inverted commas for both of those because it should just be <laughs> anyway, um but we're also still expected i guess societally to uphold those more traditional roles so it's really hard like i i, I watch my my friends you know who who have children trying to balance family and and career and things and it's hard it's hard and that's not to say it's not hard for men at all but it's it just it's hard <laughs> and so i feel like when you've got imposter syndrome and it's so loud that it's making you doubt everything about yourself that's when you need organizations like women in wildlife and you need people like you too who will have your back when you can't have your own and that's why it's so important to have the right kind of people around you the right team around you um which i am very very lucky to have in all of my workplaces and i'm very very grateful to have in all of my workplaces because um i definitely wouldn't have gotten to where i am without it i definitely wouldn't be the nurse i am at the level that i am this early on in without it i'm I'm very very grateful for that so yeah definitely if either of you get imposter syndrome just come come over here to me and um, I'll give you a gentle slap over the face and remind you of how amazing you are
0: because (laughs) because sometimes the inner voice is too loud for you to do it for yourself oh thank you no like that's so sweet about women in wildlife and yeah I really hope we can show that women are doing it and I think as you said exactly like historically women haven't been in these positions of power and I think now that we are like we don't have the history necessarily to say oh well, like I'm capable, you know, so many women before me have been able to do this. It's like, no, often these new, you know, positions are being held by women for the first time. And I think it really does leave little room for mistakes. And I think that is a huge part of imposter syndrome too. Like, I think we don't have the privilege of making a mistake um, as much in these, like particularly, I mean, not for all careers, but in higher um, sort of end positions as well, unfortunately. And I think, yeah, that is really quite, closely linked with um the imposter syndrome that we do feel unfortunately but yeah really great point as well about um having kids and being really expected to do it all and having no room no wiggle room (laughs) unfortunately but yes we'll definitely um hopefully hold each other a little bit more accountable (laughs) Um, yeah definitely remind each other and um how amazing everyone is and yeah hopefully women of wildlife can continue to do that as well yeah, no, you, you've
2: started an amazing platform and you've created an incredible community of women around the world. And it's also been really fascinating the just the diversity of roles that the women on your platform do, you know, like roles that I wouldn't have even thought of. Um, and so many I've been connected with um, or have already been connected with and been so excited to see them on the platform because I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, this person needs to be on this platform because they're amazing and everyone should know it. So yeah, you're doing an amazing job and I'm very, very proud of you and I'm very, very honoured to have um, connected with you guys
0: and to have been featured. It was very, very exciting. And <laughs> of our very first features, I guess, it's been awesome to connect from the very beginning. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And you, like, obviously it is an ongoing thing. And you've you know said that imposter syndrome hasn't gone away and you still experience it today, but having experienced it in yeah, a variety of roles, what advice would you give to women who deal with imposter syndrome um, within the wildlife industry?
2: Um, I think, as I said, if the voices of imposter syndrome are getting so loud, they're making you doubt yourself and, and then not letting the reassuring voices come through, find Find your tribe, whether it's your personal tribe or your, your network tribe, an online tribe. The amount of friends that I have made through connecting online is ridiculous. I, I'm, I'm shocked when I go back and realise how many people that I met online through, you know, Instagram or Facebook or whatever. Um, yeah, find find the right tribe for you. Find the people that are going to love you for exactly who you are and how quirky you are or how weird you are or whatever it is, um, but who in those moments are going to give you a sliver, sl- <laughs> cyber slap. we <laughs> are calling it a sliver now. They're going to give you a sliver um, across the face um, and remind you that, as you said, you wouldn't have got the job if they didn't think that you were capable or that you weren't capable. You wouldn't have finished the qualification if you weren't capable of doing so. You wouldn't have gotten to where you are if you weren't capable. So, um, yeah if you can't be that cheerleader for yourself have cheerleaders Mm -hmm. that you can lean on um and I think especially with mental health I think imposter syndrome um for a lot of people kind of goes hand in hand with mental health um and we are going to have really down days we're going to have really good days conservation can be a really hard industry in terms of you know, compassion fatigue, um, devastation. You know, you open up your phone and you've got, you know, friends updating on their lives and, you know, great news stories here, there, and cute animals. And then you come across one reel of, you know, an orangutan going back to its forest and the forest is gone. And that just, that just destroys your whole day and your heart's just broken. So you're going to have those moments and you're going to feel that despair. And that's okay in very small doses. Just be very, very careful of how much you let in. And that's coming from someone who is very empathetic, very emotional, um, and lets way too much in. So I'm, I'm speaking from experience and maybe not overcoming that yet. Um, do what I say, not what I do is my <laughs> <laughs> would be would be my tip there. Um, but yeah, I think. I think you've gotten to where you are now because of the hard work that you've put in, because of the networking that you've done. And there's nothing wrong with networking. There is nothing wrong with making new connections and and seeing if anything new comes of those experiences. Because if the worst thing that comes out of it is a friendship, well, that's pretty cool. If you get a new job opportunity, you get a new learning opportunity. It's just you know just take it take it as it comes. But yeah always always try and back yourself and that's something i'm really working on this year is when that imposter syndrome does come in is trying to take a step back and as you said looking back at where i started and reminding myself yeah well 12 months ago you were here and you were ready to drop out because you couldn't do this and now you're doing that so this is the new cannula you know this is the new thing that you don't think you can do but in 12 months time you probably won't even bat an eyelash at it so yeah that's what i have to say (laughs)
1: Oh, that is like the best advice. I think I'm going to need to snippet this down into a little thing and like listen to it when I'm feeling it. And I'm like, yeah, no. I'm coming on. Listen. Not with my voice. No, get, get
2: someone with my no. Can you like dub me to be David Attenborough or something? like <laughs> Me and my husky, deep voice, it's I'm not very soothing. You can put
1: it a bit lower if you like, okay. if you want a bit of a extra. <laughs> I can be quite soothing and deep if you want to be. <laughs> No, that honestly is the best advice and I definitely will be listening to this again because I think that's just invaluable what you've just said and I think all the listeners will come out of um, with that with some really good um, things to do whenever they're feeling like that way. So,
0: yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, no, you articulated yeah. that so well. <laughs> um, but definitely like when you mentioned leaning on other people to like I think yeah obviously that is just like I haven't even really thought about that to be honest with imposter syndrome I think that's really great mm-hmm. advice but it just sort of made, reminded me to like having that wider group of people potentially to lean on if you can So I feel like sometimes if I lean on like my partner or my parents like they're always going to tell me I'm amazing because they love me I'm like oh well, I don't believe you like you know you're meant to say that like you don't have a choice <laughs> so yeah I think definitely having like that wide you're biased yeah exactly <laughs> like you're like yeah and that's that's just the imposter syndrome speaking louder and <laughs> (laughs) and yeah like you said so go to your
2: wider network go to people who haven't met you in person or have only followed your work
1: and
0: yeah get it from them absolutely
1: well before we wrap up we've got one quick question to finish off Mm -hmm. and that is if you could give one piece of advice to your younger self what would it be less crying
2: I have had forehead wrinkles since I was 19
0: from sun damage and crying. <laughs>
2: less crying and more sunscreen is probably what makes it more things for me. <laughs> you need
0: that on a t-shirt, like less crying, more sunscreen.
2: Oh my gosh. Yes. I want I, I really I you to, to use that as a women in wildlife <laughs> tag right. on a t-shirt.
0: <laughs> we are getting some new merch. So. Just,
2: just yeah, a, new merch. The like, EI slogan, like down the bottom, like a like, logo, just down the bottom is like a yeah. little like cried for me there <laughs> Yeah. less less crying more sunscreen there you go that's my that's my tip for my for my younger self <laughs> uh, that's so the slogan for the podcast I have, I have absolutely no idea what I would say to my younger self um life has been a roller coaster for all of us and I think I'm I'm kind of just accepting that that is life And it's really funny being a millennial and seeing all the hilarious millennial reels that are coming out. And one of them being that, you know, when you're a kid and you think that teenagers have it all together and then you become a teenager and you're like, oh, no, they don't. But people in their 20s, they know what they're talking about. And then you get to your 20s and you're like, oh, no, I've got no idea what I'm doing. So you look at people in your 30s, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I'm in my 30s. And career-wise, I know what I'm doing. The rest of my life, absolutely not. So I'm not even looking at people in their 40s, 50s, 60s anymore because I'm like, I know you guys don't know what you're doing. You're just winging it, and that's okay because I think that's just what life is. We're just winging it and trying to be happy as much as possible. So that's probably my my other thing to my younger self is just keep winging it and try to be happy.
0: Awesome. <laughs> well, I think you know when um you're when you saying when you become an adult and you look for an adult like in the situation. Yeah. <laughs> like but now, I'm still looking for an adult <laughs> yeah
2: and now I'm the adult and I really need another adult who's better at adulting than I am <laughs> and I can tell you at
0: 35 there's a lot of adults who are better at adulting than me but that's okay <laughs> Oh, well, yeah, thank you so much for coming on, Tony. We've, yeah, learnt a lot and it's been great to hear a lot about um, more deeply, I suppose, um, than we can just see through your Instagram, but into your life and into your journey and into your, um, yeah, work with an extinction and your nursing and, yeah really appreciate how open and honest you've been and it's been a really great chat so i'm sure all our listeners can take a lot away from this and we're really keen to um publish this very soon so thank you so much and we'll keep um following you and all yeah your positivity that you um show through yeah all your social media channels so very very keen to keep following
2: Thank you so much. I am very honoured to be on this podcast. When I got your message asking, I was so excited. Um, I had been manifesting it from the very beginning. (laughs) As soon as I saw it launched, I was like, I want to be on this. And then I got your message and I was so excited um, and very honoured. And as I said, I have been a fan of Women in Wildlife since day one and the work that you're doing to... Build other women up is exactly what is needed in this industry and around the world. And you're amazing. You're both amazing, and I'm very, very grateful to have connected with you both.
0: Oh, so sweet. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Awesome. Well, yeah. We'll um, be in your ears again in a couple of weeks. Thanks, everyone. Thanks
1: so much for listening to the Women in Wildlife podcast. If you liked what you heard today, give us a follow on our Instagram or Facebook to keep up to date with our latest interviews, news and when our next episode is coming out. Bye for now.